G'day, g'day everyone. Welcome to the Chasing Travels podcast, where you can hear about all things travel, conservation, wild adventures, and anything and everything else in between. I'm Alicia, a full-time eco-traveler with a passion to inspire and teach others about this big, wide world that we live in. And I'll be chatting to people from all over the globe who will share their stories and get you excited and pumped up to get out there. All right, guys, let's get chasing. Welcome back to another episode of the Chasing Travels podcast. This morning I have Rain dialing in from Vanuatu and we've just been talking for a little bit and I can hear all these beautiful birds in the background. We should maybe open up my window here in Australia and we can have the Vanuatu birds speaking to the Australian birds. Now Rain is a passionate ocean lover. She spends her time taking photos of the ocean to capture its beauty, power and unknownness to share with others and to spread the message of conservation. And now, Rain is studying environmental policies and she's ready to take on the world. She just fi- she just finished school last year and I can already tell she is going to be a change maker for her community there and for the environment and the world. Rain, thank you so much. Good morning. How are you doing? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. You're very welcome. You're not nervous at all, are you? <laughs> well, if I say no, that's a lie. So... <laughs> It's good. You're getting out of your comfort zone, like you said. And guess what? No one can talk back. Everyone else is just listening. So that's the beauty of it. Thank you. <laughs> so, Rain, tell me, where where are you from? Where are you sitting right now? Okay. So I'm from Vanuatu, Efate, in Efate, a Pango village, a village in Efate called Pango. And I'm right now sitting in my parents' house because I'm still a teen and I don't have a house for myself. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sitting in the veranda and it's it's oh my god it's just terrifying talking about it's um it's good it's a sunny morning I know it's high tide right now so I know my sister's out surfing catching a few good waves maybe after this I'll grab my board and go yes so is the ocean right there in front of you oh no no it's a bit further down but it's not like more like a five minute walk oh that's nothing yeah that's awesome I was just thinking about you guys, how you guys have to go, like, some of you is two hours to the beach or something. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm lucky here. I'm I'm also at my parents, and guess what? I'm not a teenager, and I still don't have my own house, so that's all good. Um, But, yeah, we live, we live on a bay, but there's no surf where I live, so if we wanted to go surfing, it would be an hour's drive south. But, yeah, because we have all these islands in front of us, so it's all mangroves and mudflats, but I'm very jealous that you live five minutes from a surf beach. And do you surf often? I did. Oh, I am surfing as often, but I went out um, last week. It was last week. I went out last week and I took a wave. My board went up and it came down and the fin broke and it's missing. Oh, no. And I went back the next morning and I found it, so I have it with me. It's right there. <laughs> Ready to repair. Ready to repair. I'm, I'm missing a few screws and stuff, but it's... I, I gave it to my brother right after I found out the pin was broken and he fixed it and now it's all good. Oh, good. Ready to ready to carve off on some waves again. Oh, yes, please. The fin better be working. The screw better be in. And did you grow up surfing? Oh, yes, I did. All my sisters, my family. Um, my father started surfing with canoe boards. Oh, wow. Yeah, and then 
and then surfboards started coming in a few years later and now we have boards and now we have long boards and now we have a variety of long boards and short boards and it just keeps getting better. Yeah. And do you think that that's where your your passion for the ocean came from? You're obviously just spending so much time out there. Yeah, I think some people would say it's passion is gained, but for me, I think it was passed down from one generation to another and it's just there. Yeah. Like you live so close to the ocean and your parents tell you, oh, this wasn't there before, this is new. Oh, this is something that has changed, I don't like it. Mm-hmm. And you just like pick it up and it just builds up and builds up and builds up and you're like, oh, I want to do something, I want to do something that will bring out a positive change to the community. I want to help them. I want to make a change. I want my children to see that, yes, this is still there and I can do it. If my mom can do it, then I can do it. You know, yeah. something like this? Absolutely, absolutely. I love that. And what what are some of the things then that that you can recall or that your parents have said that have changed in their lifetime and and now your lifetime? Oh, there's lots of things that have changed, especially with um Vanuatu's um development coming up now since we're starting to grow in the get grow mm-hmm. as a country. Um there's lots of um over depletion over exploitation of natural resources, especially with tourism coming in. It's good. It has some benefits. Um, it has some benefits to our economy because it encourages conservation, and then it brings out new technology that can help with it. But in my opinion, it's very, it's very harmful because mm-hmm. it forces people to clear out natural resources or natural environment to establish something for tourism, and yeah. it's just putting so much pressure and so mm-hmm. much stress on the local land and local resources that it's making it difficult for it to multiply or regenerate so it just keeps on going and going and going yeah so one of them is this coral reef we used my we used to have like a lot of it like let's say a few decades back but now with overfishing over exploitation of resources it's just dead now so my sister started coral farming it's going really good but Let's not say it's good, good. There's some challenges in maintaining it and going out there and doing the job and finding people to help you do the job. So it's quite difficult. Yeah. But it's getting there. So while my sister is doing that, I'm working on a mangrove plantation. Oh, awesome. I'm, <laughs> I'm doing it down by the beach, but I'm planting, uh, planting the mangrove by my aunt's yard at Eratap. Okay. It's, uh, yeah. Eratap's another surf beach in Efate because, um, People are moving further down, um, closer to the water, and mm. they're just cutting off mangroves so they can have access to the beach, but they don't know the benefits of it and how and how amazing it is in preserving and and stopping soil erosion, especially when Vanuatu is a country that is really prone to natural disasters. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And is this mainly local communities that are moving closer, or they're moving closer to the water for the tourism? infrastructure both actually yeah and foreigners that come and pay land they build right up to the ocean and then just cut off everything and it's just right there like you can't get past it or anything yeah so is there any rules and regulations about that oh i've asked when i did my um, mangrove plantation there is rules and regulations but it's just people respecting it right now it's quite difficult 
like people will tell them, oh my God, no, I bought this damn land, it's mine. Mm-hmm. I have the right to build to whatever stop I want. You can't stop me because this is my land. You know, this type of mentality that people yeah. have. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and you must be sitting there going, no. Mm, it's so difficult. Even planting, I'm um, getting my mangrove and planting it in front of someone's yard that comes and stops. Like he has a fence right there. And that's now the beach. It doesn't belong to him. Even planting mangrove in front of it, it's quite difficult because they've got, they start to get really aggressive mm. about it and saying, no, you can't plant in front of me here. I don't care if it's helping stop soil erosion or anything. I don't want you to plant anything in front of my yard. Yeah. Lucky you're young and you've got plenty of time to change the world. But I do, um, my passion is conservation and tourism and, um, you know, getting people outside in nature because I feel that, you know, once we spend more and more time outside, you know, like you, you've grown up on the ocean, you know, the mangroves and the reefs and this sort of thing. You, the, the more time you spend out there, the more you want to protect it because you can see its beauty. You can see how everything interconnects. You can see the ecosystems working together. Mangroves. I only said yesterday to my partner, I want to do a podcast on mangroves because so many people look at them as like, oh, that's an ugly tree or, you know, I can't see my, my beautiful ocean view because the mangroves are there. But mangroves are so vital to our environment and to our coastal environment that we need more people like you doing these projects and also, you know, implementing policies, which is what you're studying. So, you know, you can implement policies so that people can't go down and chop down these mangroves. So I wanted to ask, what's your opinion with doing tourism correctly? Like obviously Vanuatu is quite a popular tourist destination. I know especially for Aussies, we're quite close to Vanuatu. So bless you. It um it comes you know, it's like a, an easy, close holiday for us. But I've spent a lot of time in Southeast Asia and I've seen how these countries have turned to just, okay, tourism, tourism, tourism. And then, you know, they've lost all these beautiful parts of land and beaches because everyone's just built closer and closer. So do you think that there is a right way to do tourism and are people on board with, you know, ecotourism and sustainable tourism? Ooh. Tough question. The tough question, but I'm, I'm, I want to answer it. I want to answer it. I don't think there's a correct way to do tourism, even though you say eco-tourism. Yeah. I think some people, or us especially, put eco in front of something and just expect it to be environmentally friendly, but do not know the hard work that you have to put behind it, the people that go behind it to actually make it work. Mm-hmm. So even though you say ecotourism, some people will put on like, if you come to a tourist destination, they put like an eco project or let's say something that's just eco and then a title. Mm-hmm. And then you go in there and you pick up something like, oh no, that's not eco-friendly. They're not. So there's no correct way of doing it. There's always going to be something there that just challenges the title of eco or yeah. eco-friendly. So maybe you'll have like a surf destination. Surf, that's an example. Surf destination, and you have like eco-friendly beaches and all, but you can't stop the current from bringing in plastic. You can't stop the natural. Uh, you can't stop the natives to go fishing. You can't stop them from picking up shells or breaking the coral reefs to harvest food. Mm. You just. So, in my opinion, there's no correct way of mm-hmm. going eco-tourism. In yeah. My opinion. Yeah. No. I mean, that's great. Do you think? That, you know, if, if I was to come over there, is there then a right way to travel, like without it being 
or without it having an impact and without saying, you know, I'm an, I'm an eco traveler, therefore I'm going to be this eco person. But, you know, if I, if I came to you and said, okay, Rain, I'm coming to Vanuatu for two weeks. How can we do this correctly? Teach me, teach me the ways so that I can travel without having a footprint on your island and within your country. Ooh. Still, I wouldn't say that was eco-friendly. Like we were, we're going to end up doing something or maybe you're going to end up doing something that is not eco-friendly. So a person cannot go fully yeah. eco-friendly. I agree, 100%. Especially, you can't be 100%. And especially when you're traveling. like Yes, especially when you're traveling. You can't yeah. be. Like you want to go to these destinations to look at this stuff. You're going to have to travel by a car. Mm-hmm. Carbon footprint exists there. Yeah. There's no way you can go around it. If you yeah. were to walk like to your destination, yeah, I would say, but if it's somewhere if it's somewhere that's not close, somewhere far away, then it's quite difficult for you to avoid going by a car. So so if a person says they're 100% eco-friendly, I would still doubt them. Yeah, they've like, got to swim to Vanuatu, then they got to walk around. <laughs> exactly. Like maybe they'll do something like go vegetarian, mm-hmm. stop eating meat, which helps reduce carbon footprint from animal farming side. But if it's like to travel, maybe the clothes or the house, like you have to really think about how everything comes into existence. Like for a house, you have to go mining for natural resources. That is already a depletion of natural resources. And for your clothes, it has to come from a cotton farm or something. So you have to clear out natural resources to only plant cotton trees mm. and to harvest it, go to the factory. So if you say you're eco-friendly like or solely based for the natural environment, I would say you're lying. Yeah. Then yeah. Don't wear clothes, don't have a hat, don't stay in exactly. the house, stay in the bushes or something. Yeah, it's quite challenging now. but It is definitely. And um, I, I agree 100% with you. Um, it's it's impossible to have zero carbon footprint unless we went back centuries and, like you said, we're running around with no clothes on and, you know, we're just going about life how we would have before the Western world came into play. And, yeah, I I really love your honesty in that because so many people (laughs) forget about that side of it as well. And, you know, I am guilty of it. I am trying to run eco-tours to countries so that people can learn more about the environment and whatnot. But in order for us to all get there, we do have to fly and, you know, we do have to take buses to get there. Um, But in saying all this, I am definitely a strong believer in small steps make big differences. So, you know, if we can all come, no one uses a plastic water bottle for the two weeks that they're in that country. And, you know, we all go out and we help you plant 10 trees each and we go and we clean the beach every second day. Like I think that's little steps in the right direction. Um, You know, we stay in a homestay that was established already before tourism was even a thing. It's like, you know, how can we do this correctly as as much as possible without yeah. causing big problems and over-exploitation? So I love it. I love that you are completely <laughs> honest with your, response, uh, with your response there. I want to come back to the, the reefs. So I saw on your Instagram that a little while ago you were doing some crown of thorns removal. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Okay, so just a little bit of backstory as to why we actually do it. Mm-hmm. 
So when it gets low tide here in Varnati, it actually gets low tide to a point where you can walk to the end of the reef before big drops go. Um, there's a huge drop and then you have a deep blue. So kids now when they walk by the beach and they see a, a crown of thorns, they actually get like rocks and they break it. Like we actually break it, you know, like thinking we're doing a world a huge favor of actually yeah. killing them and removing them from existence. But they don't know the little fact that if you kill it or if you put any type of stress in it, it, it like automatically immediately goes into a broadcast spawning. So it just releases thousands of eggs. Like it just keeps releasing it until it dies wow. or until, until you break it, like you break it apart and it has like a finger there for it to regenerate. Then it just multiplies and multiplies and multiplies. Mm-hmm. So I'm guilty of it. So, um, like when I was young, I remember just like going out to the beach and like killing 10 of them a day. Yeah. I just breaking them apart and throwing it out or sun drying it to help it make it better. But now, like once I'm all grown up and I go surfing or I go snorkeling, I see like millions of it. I see thousands of it and they're huge, huge now. They're not little anymore. They're quite huge. So we do, um, crown of thorns cleanup. So we use a syringe gun to, I think inject it with some type of chemical mm-hmm. or else we get, we go out and we just try and gently remove them from the reef without causing any stress. Mm-hmm. It is quite difficult, but we do it every now and then knowing, knowing that if we leave them there, then they just keep on eating and eating and eating the coral. And if the coral dies off, then the fish dies off. And then what does the local economy depend on? Exactly. Yeah. But, and then that, um, relating to that, I just wanted to say, in relation to tourism, mm. I don't like it. Yeah. To, and related to that topic of crown of thorns, because tourism likes to harvest a big triton shell. It's really, this shell is really like well known or respected here in Vanuatu. Mm-hmm. We call it the Ubu shell. Okay. And people, like tourism, when tourists come here, People like to go out and harvest these shells and sell them because they're worth like big money. Yeah. But they don't know that Triton shells eat crown of thorns. Uh-huh. And so they're making the job, tourism's making the job in a way 10 times difficult for us. And then they go and harvest fish to put on like resorts or restaurants or something. And then even the locals go out and harvest it. So in a way, we're causing it to become imbalanced. That's mm-hmm. why we're trying to go out there and kill it, like, the artificial way instead of going through the natural process of actually having predators or dying. Yeah, yeah. So, so we do it every once in a month or twice in a month mm-hmm. just to stop the – or just to, like, limit the number of crown of thorns that are out there daily. But it's quite hard with the waves and the currents. Like, we can harvest, like, a 100 in a bay – but out where we surf, it's really, it's really hard with the waves and they're like in, in the corals so and you yeah. can't get them. Like you see them, you just can't get them because you, if you want to get them, you have to break the coral apart. Yeah, to get, get it apart, out. yeah. So is there local projects that are, are running this removal of the crown of thorns? No, there is a local project. There's a team that has formed due to the Vanuatu Surfing Association. They're based in Luna Island. They come... They're the main team that will help you, assist you in removing crown of thorns from your bay or from the ocean. They have 
syringe guns. They have the tools and the equipments that they use. They just need you to give them a call, arrange a date and time, and then they'll come over, help you, and then they'll teach the community. Community, They'll try and make some tools for us to use. Mm-hmm. But if sometimes we can't do it by ourselves, then we call them over. And yeah. then they're really excited to remove it. They said that it's really dangerous to remove it, but it's quite fun. And, I mean, it's, it's doing the right thing, isn't it? You know, you're getting rid of it in the right way. And I love that, um, you know, people have noticed that, oh, we thought we were doing the right thing by just smashing the crown of thorn to pieces. And little did we know, it's just spreading it like crazy. It's like a weed, really, for, for people that don't know about crown of thorns. You know, if you pull out a weed and it's already gone to seed, then that seed's going to go wild and spread yeah. everywhere. Same as the crown of thorns. And tell me about the plastic. Is there a plastic problem on the island or is or on the islands? Or is it, you know, coming in from the ocean or is it both? And are people on board with reducing their plastic use every day? Um... So plastic here in Vanuatu has slightly increased or has increased exponentially throughout the last few decades. So, um, it's becoming quite difficult to actually do plastic um, collection of projects. So I go pick up plastic, pick up plastic and just you can't do it because plastic is either too further out or too further in and you're just focusing on one area and knowing that there's plastic everywhere. Mm. So with the local... With the Vanuatu developing, it's just developing with increased plastic pollution as well. Mm. Now, now it's becoming like ten times worse with the mask, with minivans using masks and not knowing how yep. to properly dispose them. It's just me walking down, sorry, me walking down at the beach. I see twenty masks down at the beach, and if I pick it up, really. Tomorrow I come again, I see master and at the beach. Like, people don't know oh to just how to dispose them correctly. And then when people come down to the beach and have picnics, they leave all the rubbish there. Like, they're all thinking, like, if the ocean comes and pulls it away, if I don't see it, then it's not a problem. Yeah. Not, not thinking that it's actually affecting the ocean slowly by breaking down into microplastics or maybe getting caught by, like, eat, eaten by a fish mm. or nets that are caught, um, caught a turtle. And then just becoming a really big problem here in Vanuatu. But some people have tried to reduce their plastic usage mm-hmm. by, like what you said, with the bottle of water. So now people are trying to reduce plastic usage by buying metal aluminum cans, mm-hmm. if I'm saying it right. Yeah, yeah. To use as a drink bottle and not plastic water bottles and you can go and refill and then come back instead mm-hmm. of buying a new plastic every hour you're thirsty or something but with the plastic that are already on the land or in the ocean there's a art exhibition that goes on every um every year in um Vanuatu called mm-hmm. sick plastic okay so you're making art like with plastic only and I've participated in that for, um since it first started and I'm still going yeah I've used, I've collected bottle tops to make a wear with my friends. I've done a dress with it. And then I've done collected slippers to make a human face. And then I'm just like, I'm just, I keep on going, like trying to use plastic to my advantage to create something that people will look at and be like, oh my God, that is so pretty. That is so breathtaking. I didn't know plastic could create such a beautiful art. I know it's not just happening in Vanuatu. I know. I know when I go online and I search for plastic uh, art, I see it happening in Australia, in Thailand, 
people are just trying to find creative ways to reduce plastic by making yeah. it something that people will actually love. Yeah. But and then if you see that as something like, oh, they're using plastic as art, don't get don't get any idea of making more plastic just yes. so you can get <laughs> more art. Like, A nice we're art. Trying to, yeah, like we're trying to teach you to limit plastic usage or reduce reuse and recycle. Mm. Yeah. But it's yeah, it's quite difficult here. Some people just won't accept that plastic is creating pollution. Yeah. Is it being taught in the schools about the environment and plastic? From my knowledge, you don't learn them in primary. Only if you come to secondary and you take environmental studies as a course, then you learn of its effects. Or okay. if you take creative arts, then there's a section that allows you to explore using different mediums. Yeah. And plastic is one of them as of last year. But I think when you teach children here about um, environmental degradation or something that is harmful to the environment, maybe it's, I think they're just going to learn over-exploitation of natural resources mm. and natural disasters, mm-hmm. like how natural disasters affect the environment. But I don't think plastic pollution is a topic inside of uh, our textbook at yeah. the moment. Yeah. And over-exploitation, I was talking to a guy um two weeks ago and he was on Kwakia Island um, and he is working with the local community because same story they've got a tiny little reef um, before it drops down into the the big blue and basically over time it's been exploited they've they've overfished it and now you know they're getting 30 little fish to feed the family instead of one big fish so he's looking at ways that they can grow more food on the land, use livestock. He's dealing with wild pigs over there and then, you know, they're catching that and and eating that for food. So is there practices like that happening where you are as well or are you still fishing out on the reefs but you're also getting small fish compared to the big fish? Uh, There is a practice here in Pango. So what they do here in Pango is they we go like three years where we block the – we put a ban on fishing Okay. or – yeah, we put a ban on fishing or people going out to harvest like seashells and stuff like that for three years and then it opens for a week yep. and then it closes again for another three years. Wow. I know this practice, but even in my like three years of giving time to the ocean to actually regenerate and get itself into balance and then during that one week or maybe a month of it open, mm. it's all gone. Oh, really? Yeah. So people so, just take, 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 take. So people just take, take, take. Mm. Like you go out into the water at 11 o'clock at night and you see like people just walking on the reef collecting shells and stuff. And mm. when you go out and surfing and you snorkel, even places where waves come in really strong, you see broken reefs and you know that people have actually dived under there and trying to like, collect something. Yeah. Yeah, so it, it's a good practice, but in the time that they do open it for people to go out and harvest stuff, they're just like, killing it like they're going out there and yeah. they're like leaving nothing unturned and nothing it's almost that. worse because they're just going to go crazy they, it's a good project but yeah it needs that education behind it too like you yes, know okay you this is why we're doing this and please don't go out here at, at 10 o'clock tonight when we open up the reef again and we're just backwards taking yeah three steps forward and 10 steps back true but it's a good project it's got it it's is. got it's got the right idea there it's got the right ideas, but I just feel like if someone was to educate people, as like you said, as to why this project is important, 
I think people would actually follow it. Mm-hmm. Like people would follow it to some extent, if I'm being honest. But you won't be at the beach at 11 o'clock at night. Mm. Or you won't be at the beach all night to see if someone's going to break, like someone's going to go out there and fishing. Like if you say, okay, this is a practice, it's good. But we're just going to say you go fishing or harvesting shells from this time to this time. And during this time and this time, you don't do it. You're not mm. going to sit out there from the time you said you're not going to do it and try and monitor people who are not doing it because the bay is quite huge. Like mm. you can't monitor everyone at once. Like someone's yeah. going to be out there doing something. Yeah, it's like the idea without yeah. the legislation behind it like if if no one's policing it then it's still going to be a problem and this is happening worldwide you can you can encourage people to do the right thing you can even have fines but yeah it's gonna have to be someone else that's also just patrolling that beach and the bay and out in the ocean like i remember doing my um dive masters over in indonesia and we all had to pay this national park marine park fee to protect the reef because, you know, the fishermen were coming in and they were, unfortunately, they were dynamite fishing in some parts and they were just, you know, over-exploiting the the reef. So, okay, we pay this marine park fee, but we would go out diving and you'd come up and you'd just look and there was a boat right next to you fishing and you're like, why in the world are we paying this marine park fee to protect it? And the guys that were running the dive boat just said, well, there's no policemen out, so the fishermen are just going to keep going. And I think, you know, they get a fine, but it's only so small. So they're like, whatever, you know, we can we yeah. can balance that out. If we can catch 10 fish and sell them at the market and get $100, for example, and the, t- the fine is only 20 then that's still good for them to catch the fish. So, yeah, it's it's happening worldwide. You can put in all these ideas and projects and that sort of thing but until people actually get on board and and go with it or someone's policing it a bit better but anyway what does the future see for you rain what what's your mission there i want to study environmental policy so i can come back and put policies in doing urban developmental policies that will actually help that would actually like be something very understandable yet very simple for everyone to get a grasp on instead of doing like a page like 10 page long of yeah. rules and regulation you can just sum it up and go into the community and tell them okay this is happening this is happening this is why it's important and you can actually have a benefit from this by doing this 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 and so for my for let's say for my if i were to go study and come back but still do my mangrove plantation I'll go and plant it out and it will become a benefit to the environment as it like helps with fish reproducing. It provides like a nursery for fish and it just helps stop soil erosion. The benefit to me is I, if, if there's like millions of them, like if I do plant millions of mangroves, it can become like a dive site. Or if every time, let's example, you come to Vanuatu and you're interested in mangroves and you come and you plant 10 of them and we'll keep you monitored like this is the progress of the mango so far, this is yeah. how many seedlings you're producing. So you know that even though you're far away, you're actually contributing to it. Like, or it can be, it can be something beneficial both ways. Like yeah. me planting it and like tourism coming in to actually be a part of the project. But it's, like you said, it's harmful. Like it has some good sides and some bad sides. Definitely. But it's better to take little steps than to take one big leap and expect it to work out. Yeah. Like I'm going to face challenges along the way, but challenges will make the project or make me a better person in understanding 
other people are understanding my stuff and my limits. Yeah, that's right. And I think that tourism is going to happen regardless. And, you know, unfortunately, that's the way of the world. We're going to keep developing things. But if we can do those small steps and, you know, okay, if you're going to come here, you should stay here and we'll all go out and plant all these mangroves. So there's that education there. Like you said, you're both benefiting because I feel like I've done something correct and supported the local environment to the country and the region that I'm going to. And then you've been able to educate some random person from Australia that's come over that's really keen to see what your world is like. And yeah, you're both winning and you can both go away from that going, wow, I really learned a lot from that person. And that other person could be like, oh, you've got to go to Vanuatu and go and plant 100 mangroves with rain. So where can people find you if they want to get in touch? So you can find me on my Wicked Nangalat photography page. Okay. All right, Rain, I've got one final question for you. And I think that you're going to, no, I know that you're going to have a great response to this one. And I haven't sent you this question. So yeah, yeah. If, If you were on a stage in front of the world, which you're probably thinking right now, oh my gosh, I wouldn't do that. But one day you will be, you'll be on a stage in front of the world. And if you had 30 seconds to give them any advice that you could, what would you tell them? Mm. I would tell them that there's no use in going to, out to collect plastic. If you want to stop plastic pollution and you want to stop environmental degradation, stop it from the source. Just completely cut off plastic pollution, I mean plastic production. If you cut it off, then yes, it will stop plastic pollution. You can't just go pick up rubbish because if you pick it up, if I'm being honest, if you pick it up, tomorrow you go, there's still going to be plastic there, or maybe 10 times worse, plastic upon plastic upon plastic. Or maybe if you pick it up, you don't know what's under. Like, plastic is there. Mm. Even if you only do, like, big projects to collect it, it's still there because people are still going to, like, manufacture it. They're still going to go and produce it. So that would be my message. If you want to do anything, find the source and just completely destroy it. guys that's a wrap for today's show thank you so much for tuning in if you got any value from this you learned something or maybe you laughed just a little bit hit the subscribe button share it on your socials and make sure that you tag me alicia petrie that's it from me see you next week have a ripper day and get out there and get chasing